Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. On this episode of the Front Office Podcast, Sean and I talk basketball, baseball, football, and everything in between. Welcome back to another episode of the Front Office Podcast. I am happy again to be joined by my partner in crime, Sean Gantworker. Sean, how you doing, brother? Uh, I'm doing pretty well. I'm in a state that we can only call uh, post-packers loss elation, oh. where mostly what I've been doing is just dancing on graves and uh, pretending that the Bears don't have actual problems as well. You know, it's crazy. We're going to get into that NFL banter real soon. Um... Let's talk a little hoops here. Uh, Tom Thibodeau, your Tom Thibodeau, has got these New York Knicks playing out of their mind. I Everyone says basketball is always good when the Lakers and the Knicks are doing well. And the Knicks find themselves hovering right around 500. They're getting exceptional play from their players. And Tom Thibodeau is getting the best out of everyone. What's going on in New York City? this time and time again with Tom Thibodeau-led teams. He gets the best out of them initially because he's professional, he's incredibly competent, and he works these guys to the bone, which has good and bad things, right? As it stands right now, this is the best defense in basketball, which is surprising given the personnel, but not given the coaching. Like, that's Thibodeau's forte. The offense is very worrisome, 101.9 points per game. But if you're a Knicks fan, given what you've experienced, frankly, over the last couple decades, I think you'd take it. I've been incredibly impressed with what Julius Randle has done. I called him Nikola Jokic light, in the, uh, I believe, uh, two weeks ago, and I stand by that. What he's doing uh, in every aspect of the game is sensational. R.J. Barrett is finally coming around, and then you just have very consistent play from guys like Mitchell Robinson, New Orleans Noel, and the up-and-coming Emmanuel Quickly. So what I see right now, I don't, I think the Knicks are a bit at a crossroads because I believe Tibbs wants to win right now and that front office isn't particularly interested in winning right now. Uh, so we'll see how this goes on as we approach the transit line. But if you're a Knicks fan, you have to be ecstatic. Julius Randle is leading the team in points, rebounds, and assist at 22.7 points a game, 11.3 re- rebounds, and an astronomical 6.1 assists. Julius Randle is still rather young. I love what Tom Thibodeau is doing with, with him. R.J. Barrett seems to have found his stride, 17 points a game, 7 rebounds, which is a nice rebound amount for a, a person of his stature. Emmanuel Quickly, like you said, is is very impressive. Um, he and, and Tyrese Maxey have both exceeded my expectations. And I think they are a point guard away from really competing. Um, and I think Tom Thibodeau has them. They currently are in the eighth spot. So I definitely think that Tom Thibodeau has something going on with them. And, I, and I'm looking forward to seeing how that continues. Well, what I'm very interested in is when they approach the trade deadline, 
will this front office commit to quote-unquote winning now? Like, clearly, probably not a championship team that's assembled, almost certainly not. Julius Randle is their most attractive asset, yet, as we said, he is 26, and yet the guy be playing behind him is Obi Toppin, right. who they have tremendous expectations for and probably want to clear some playing time. So I think it's really up in the air as to whether this team that has 22 draft picks coming up over the next six years some decent assets, but very obvious holes, picks the direction. Because were they to trade Julius Randle, or at least put him on the trade deadline, uh, trading block, excuse me, I can name you 10 teams off the top of my head that are just salivating for him. Oh, and definitely. If they want to commit to him, that'll tell us a lot more than what we know right now. You know, I think that uh, the Knicks should be sellers on Julius Randle. And, and for the for what you mentioned, the Obi Toppin um, side, they have to get Obi Toppin uh, the playing time, but it's just going to be hard for Obi Toppin to play if Julius Randle's in front of him. You know, of course, I'm thinking that they won't trade him into the Eastern Conference. So teams that I'm thinking that Julius Randle could work with, Portland, uh, they can work Denver with him, and, and I don't know if him and Joker could work together. Uh, Utah with Gobert would be nice. Um, you know, depending on what Jaron Jackson, Jackson Jr. continues to do, uh, if he doesn't progress like he should or he stays injured, Memphis would also be a, a nice um, spot for them a lot's gonna happen in this in this at this trade deadline I don't want to see Julius Randle get traded I would definitely understand why they would trade him because of Obi Toppin and Tom Thibodeau does want to win now that front office may think hey let's get one more lottery pick and then we'll be ready to go and and, and that remains to be seen so we'll see what happens Will definitely be interesting. Definitely. One one team on that East Coast as well that's been balling out of control, the Eastern leading Philadelphia 76ers. It looks like Doc Rivers has tapped into a Joel Embiid um, um, brain and kind of is getting the best out of him. He's getting the best out of his son-in-law, Seth Curry, as well. Doc Rivers is, is doing a masterful job at Philadelphia, don't you agree? Uh, he really is. And... Uh... I know that Doc Rivers is competent, but I didn't realize, I think, how big of a disparity there was between a guy like Brett Brown and a guy like Doc Rivers, because there's a certain level of professionalism and basic execution happening right now in Philadelphia that simply wasn't happening before. And I think uh, the roster is, is obviously world different. What Daryl Morey did just to get more spacing on this floor is truly fantastic, but he has Joel Embiid playing the best basketball of his life. And uh, it's, it's amazing how crucial that guy is to this team's success because they have to uh, – he's sitting out with a lot of back-to-backs and getting rest, which he needs. And when he's not there, this team doesn't look impotent, but it looks like they struggle to get baskets. So um, that's going to be a critical part to see how healthy Joel Embiid can stay. But beyond Joel Embiid, Tobias Harris is finally – working it out, right? Right. He's playing great basketball. Tyrese Maxey and Shake Milton are giving you so much right now. And we're not quite seeing the consistency from guys like Danny Green, who's a veteran, and Matisse Bible, who's a young kid that I think they really need to stand stand up during the playoffs. But where they are right now, I see no reason why I wouldn't give this team more than a puncher's chance in the Eastern Conference Finals to beat a team like the Nets or the Bucks. They have four good young guards in Shake Milton, Tyrese Maxey, Isaiah Joe, who I love, 
and 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 Matisse Thibel. Um, I think they're set, you know, in in with those four guys. Which brings me to my next point. I'm wondering why they didn't make the trade for James Harden. I I, I can kind of understand um, why they didn't. I mean, they're doing well without him. Um, but I guess uh, tell me, for, for Tita didn't want to do business with Daryl Morey as well as Philly didn't want to give up uh, Tyrese Maxey with Ben Simmons. And and I think Doc Rivers knows he has something in those young guys. Yeah, I think it was a matter of pride. I'm hesitant to to call it like, oh, Tillman Fertitta is cheap or Daryl Morey has too much much of an ego. I think when a team gets a guy like Ben Simmons, uh, who has this raw piece of clay, right, coming out of LSU Mm -hmm. after that disappointing season there with a, a lot of terrible Will Wade coaching and his supporting cast disappeared. But you have a guy like Ben Simmons who seems like he can go one of two ways. Magic Johnson or LeBron James or Sean Livingston. That's three ways, excuse me. One of three ways, let me clarify myself. And Ben Simmons still being 24, and they haven't cracked him. And I think they desperately want to crack him. The guys there, Daryl Morey, uh, the owners, Elton Brand, who's still part of that front office. I think they want nothing more than to Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid to be these two homegrown guys. And it's so tough to part with those guys because you have a world of expectations and a lot of love for those dudes. And I would have made that James Harden trade 10 times over. I think James Harden and Joel Embiid, the pick and roll, is simply unstoppable. And I think we're going to see a lot of referendums about this, say, if they don't make the finals or even worse, they get bounced by the Nets in a critical playoff series. But I understand the temptation not to do it because I still believe in Ben Simmons. And even if Ben Simmons never finds a jump shot, you still get a guy who's 13, 9, and 8 with incredible defense, which teams will kill for. But, yeah, late on the line, I'd rather have James Harden, but I understand the struggle. You know, uh, Philly is 12-6, and six, um, best record in the Eastern Conference. Um, Boston is right on their heels. We're seeing Jalen Brown take his game to another level. He has been just killing with Jason Tatum being out, and and I'm loving seeing what I'm seeing from Jalen Brown. Um, Boston, they they look like they are a force to be reckoned with, and I'm I'm looking forward to seeing them continue to um, go in, on that rise. Speaking of Brooklyn, though, um, the trade happened with with James Harden from Houston to Brooklyn. Um, Cleveland, of course, beat him a couple of games, but I think those are just kinks and errors that that Brooklyn needs to get out. Brooklyn still looks kind of scary to me. I, I think what we expected to happen has happened, right? Right. They are unstoppable on offense when everything is clicking. The amount of spacing that team provides, the amount of athleticism, truly, if one of those guys has a bad game, be it Kyrie, be it Durant, be it Harden, the other will step up, and if two guys have a bad game, you still have a guy like Joe Harris giving you very critical offense off the bench. Uh, that being said... Well, I think the James Harden trade was the right move now. I didn't think it was the right move at the start of the season, but then Spencer Dinwiddie went down, and that crucial depth started to look a little lacking. But now that they've made it, I don't think we can stress what a huge risk it was to trade Jarrett Allen and how that might be a, an Achilles heel for the near future because their lack of depth in their bigs is um, very scary. 
and the fact that they're counting on a, a kid like Nicholas Claxton to get healthy and start producing is worrisome. Maybe not fatal, but worrisome. You know, I, I think getting rid of Jared Allen in that trade, I know it was necessary um, for that trade to consummate, but DeAndre Jordan, who I like, um, is is a little older in age, and I know that Jared Allen is was a, a great backup for him. I, I've been hearing that um, Brooklyn is waiting for Andre Drummond to get bought out. Now, if they can land Andre Drummond after a buyout from Cleveland, then that'll fix their woes. But I don't know if Cleveland is going to be able to do that because they're still in contention. Not only that, but I would be shocked if they bought him out. I understand $25 million is a lot of money, but there are teams like the Mavericks and the Bulls and, frankly, even the Nuggets with Gary Harris and Will Barton's contract that can match that and I think would view him as a pretty critical piece. I think Drummond has improved his value to the point where he's not just a salary dump guy anymore, and if the Nets are counting on him I, uh, to be bought out, I think it would be a mistake. Definitely. Um, speaking I of, I think JaVale McGee is probably the more obvious guy on that on that roster, right? Five, definitely. Five and a half mil. Definitely. Yeah. Speaking of mistakes, I'm putting up air quotes here. What's the the Eastern Conference? What's going on with Miami? I mean, what's we know what's going on with Toronto? Pascal Siakam is is just not being who they thought he was. But the Miami Heat, they are the six and ten, third worst league and a third worst record in the East. Is it just Jimmy Butler not being in, or just are they kind of run out of gas? I mean, they've been kind of a disappointment so far this year. I and mean, I think I think it's COVID. They've had a lot of trouble uh, getting these guys on the court at the same time. And we've been seeing a lot of lineups which have guys like Max Struff, Gabe Vincent, uh, Chris Silva getting far too much playing time than I think Spolstra uh, would, would ever prefer. In addition to that, Tyler Harrow's neck problems are, are worrisome because those problems don't necessarily go away without significant time off. And they're digging themselves a, a, a bit of a hole. In addition to that, Mo Harkless has just been completely useless. He's giving them nothing. He's now out of that rotation. Looks like a waste of $3.5 million, which isn't good for a team that will be floating around the cap. In addition to that, we can't stress enough how badly they were outplayed by uh, John Horst and Giannis Antetokounmpo, where this is a team that uh, were suckered into making short-term moves, expecting Giannis to be a free agent in the long term. And it um, critically affected their depth and their decision-making, where now they've got a bunch of contracts that are very short, which is good, but very limiting in that these guys are getting minutes and they're not contributing. Kelly Olenek, Myers Leonard, Avery Bradley not doing nearly enough. And when coupling that with just the sheer uh, lack of having guys available to play, well, you have uh, Bam, uh, Bam and Goran just fighting an uphill battle every night. Bam's been playing out of his mind the last few games. No one's really talking about Milwaukee and Indiana for, for some reason. Uh, Sabonis is having an all-star um, season, 20 points and 12 rebounds. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting to see. Uh, Karis LeVert had surgery today, and I hope he can, can pull up out of that. I'm waiting to see what, what he can do as well. Um, but Indiana is just, and Milwaukee are just, Chugging along, waiting in their posi- their pole position, so to speak, and looks like they're going to strike soon. And the issue with Indiana is that they're just boring, <laughs> right? <laughs> which isn't which isn't their problem, you know. I think uh, if I'm an Indiana Pacers fan, I'll take being number four in the East right now and having a boring team if they produce. But 
Malcolm Brogdon and DeMontis Sabonis and Miles Turner are not flashy players, but they're incredibly competent, and they're going to win new basketball games. What it's not going to get me to do is turn them on on league pass. So I think they're going to be a sleeper team that probably draws a pretty interesting first-round matchup in the playoffs and gives them a heck of a battle. Um, and I'll take that if I'm a Pacers fan right now because this team is still young and developing. As for um, the Bucks, the Bucks are the Bucks, right? Um, they've swapped out their entire depth, and they're still the exact same team. Giannis can't hit free throws. The drop defense that um, that Coach Bud insists on um, on implementing is giving wide open threes, and they're getting eaten alive by the teams you expect them to to be eaten alive. And they're running over the teams you don't expect them. They're shooting incredibly well. They're getting very nice contributions from guys like White Dante, like mm-hmm. guys like Jordan Nuara and Sam Merrill. But they have completely marginalized Tory Craig while they um, amplify on FND Unbo, who should not be a rotation player, which gives you pretty clear nepotistic signs that are a little worrisome. But at the same time, this team is still going to continue to dominate and coast. And when they get to the playoffs, unless something changes, they'll fight the same battles, but still have the same chance of winning as they had over the last two years. If if, if no one believes nepotism is real, that's your that's your perfect example for Theonis Antetokounmpo and the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, as we stated in our last episode, Michael Jordan is smoking two cigars again because Gordon Hayward is continuing to be what they thought he was going to be. Gordon Hayward has just been killing it as of late. Yeah, he's, um, he's unstoppable. He has become the go-to guy I think the Celtics always wanted. And unfortunately for them, injuries and the development of, Jay, of, the, of the two Jays kind of made him um, take the back seat. But now Gordon Hayward is a guy who can give the ball at the top of the key and say make a play, and he's going to make a play. Uh, not only that, but he's making these guys better. Uh, P.J. Washington is looking better. Miles mm-hmm. Bridges is, is really coming around. Um, they still have just, they're getting absolutely nothing out of the five right now. Right. Which is going to be an Achilles heel until they find a way to trade um, Scary Terry and, uh, or Devontae Graham and hopefully maximize LaMelo Ball's potential there. Until they do that, I don't see this team uh, taking the next steps towards about the fourth or fifth seed. But I see them as a shoe in for the playoffs right now simply because that team is well coached and uh, has Gordon Hayward uh, uh, an elite uh, number one option. If I were Andre Drummond, I wouldn't want to go to Brooklyn. I would want to go to Charlotte um, just because I know that I, I don't want to go to Brooklyn. I, I want to go somewhere and help build. I don't want something that's already built waiting for me. I do think Charlotte needs to come off of either Scary Terry or, or Devontae Graham. Maybe you send one of them to New York for either uh, uh, Randall or Mitchell Robinson because Charlotte is definitely lacking um, – from the five position and they need some help. Maybe they're going to wait next year and miss out on the playoffs and go get an Evan Mobley, but they need a big in the worst way. And hopefully they can figure that out soon. I tell you right now, LaMelo ball, Julius Randall and Gordon Hayward. And then I'd play PJ Washington as a very small ball five. Mm. I think that team is lethal. Definitely. I think that team is scary. Uh, I think Drummond would look nice on that team as well, but Selfishly, if I'm Andre Drummond, I see if I can go to Chicago, um, probably for an, for an auto porter plus second round pick swap that those contracts match. Because I think Andre Drummond on the Chicago team right now clinches the playoff spot and gives him room as a 27 year old guy to be like, oh, me and Zach Levine, that's your building blocks right now. 
extend me in a way that Charlotte doesn't necessarily get you there because that team has a whole bunch of guys that are going to start looking for second contracts that um, I'm not sure if Jordan and Kupchak are, are fully prepared to give out. So we'll see as his development continues towards the trade deadline. Um, uh, something just came across a newswire of the Pelicans are open to trading Lonzo Ball. He could be an option for New York and do very well. And Knicks have a bun- ton of picks. They still have the Kristaps Porzingis picks coming along. Maybe Zoe finds his way to New York. Yeah, Lamelo Ball needs to get out of there. It's unfortunate. He's been supplanted by Ingram and um, and Zion Williamson as the go-to guy. And that team's just doing him no favors because it has no spacing. And Lonzo Ball is supposed to be a playmaker, but he's got no one to pass to other than Jake Reddick, who's having a very down year. So I think Lonzo Ball needs to find himself a, a nice new home. I agree with you that I think Thibodeau would work pixie dust with him would just do absolute wonders for him, and that would be a really good choice. I think maybe a team like the the Magic, where now that Marco Fultz is gone, he can start finding himself along with Cole Anthony as maybe a nice one-two punch. Uh, But I think the sooner Alonzo Ball gets out of there and gets out of Stan Van Gundy's uh, (laughs) doghouse, the better. (laughs) Right. Let's move on over to the Western Conference, where the Lakers are playing astronomical defense. Um, they're leading the league in defensive efficiency, uh, point differential of plus nine. You know, uh, they're second in defense behind the Knicks, which is surprising, of 104 points uh, per game. The Lakers look like they are possibly going to repeat. Um, LeBron is playing out of his, his mind, and the Lakers look are looking really good, as usual. Yeah, right now they look almost impossible to beat when both LeBron and Davis are playing because uh, that that defense is just locked in and that offense, 114 points per game, is not half bad either. Uh, Top to bottom, this team goes how LeBron goes. And when he's playing like he's been playing, facilitating, getting incredibly hot from three to start of the year, they just look unbeatable. Uh, Dennis Schroeder, still consistent. Montrezl Harrell, looking fine. Contevious Caldwell-Cope cannot simply cannot cannot miss and it's letting guys like Marcus Gasol take a take a back seat and focus on defense which is allowing them to simply dominate and obviously yeah if nothing changes it will be very hard to see anybody beating this team without an injury or getting impossibly hot for four games you know Montrez Harrell is third in the team in points coming off the bench 13 points and seven rebounds like you said Dennis Schroeder is playing out of his mind KCP he can't miss for some reason and and the Lakers look like just awesome the other team in LA uh the Clippers they aren't looking too shabby either it looks like Paul George is is taking all of the criticism from his playoffs of last season and and just kind of he's walking around with a chip on his shoulder it seems like you know he's 50 50 he's in the 50 50 90 club 50 in field goals 50 in three-point percentage and 90 in free throws Paul George is is looking like he's taking all the criticism to heart let's just hope he can keep it up in the playoffs correct oh yeah I mean Paul George has a world of expectations on him that, frankly, a lot of his talk have, have caused. Like, it's his fault, for the most part, that people expect a guy that calls himself playoff P to produce in the playoffs. And he hasn't so far. So that's going to remain a question mark. But what he's done in the regular season is, is unimpeachable. Uh, his playmaking has improved. Him and Kawhi Leonard have this incredible chemistry. And they're just powering this team 
in a way that uh, we had all hoped. In addition to that, uh, Coach Lou is running actual offensive sets now that Rivers, for some reason, didn't necessarily run. And it's allowing the depth on this team to kind of contribute in a way that uh, is encouraging. I think still think they're probably one playmaker away from really threatening the Lakers, but they're going to coast for the regular season because they're too talented not to. Definitely, I agree. I agree. Um, I think that the other the other guys that oh, let's go back. Yes, Kevin Porter Jr. Let's go back over to the East real quick. Um, he he got he had a temper tantrum. It sounds like um, when when the trades were made, they didn't have any enough seats for him, and they moved him into an auxiliary room, his locker. Um, but he he was throwing food and things of that sort. So they so Cleveland traded him to Houston. I'm actually looking forward to seeing what John Lucas and those guys can do with, with Kevin Porter. Um, and, and I, I hope that Kevin Porter jr. Who has a lot of game. I hope that, that, that staff in Houston can, can help him reach his full potential both on the court and off the court. Yeah. Kevin Porter, it's a sad story right now, which is unfortunate because given what he's accomplished in his life to get to the NBA, truly sensational losing his father when he was four years old, having a mother who sacrificed almost everything for him, challenging himself in Seattle, an incredible basketball city to make a name for himself, going to USC, getting himself drafted. And uh, I think he just needs to get his mind right. I hope Houston has uh, mechanisms in place in the organization, be it therapy, uh, be it even an equipment manager or a video guy who can buddy up with him and get this guy the help he needs because he needs that far more than he needs more than 20 minutes a night for the Houston Rockets. I still have hope for him. I wasn't in that locker room in Cleveland, so I'm not fully privy to anything other than anybody else was privy to. I understand a little bit where he's coming from, his frustration with being exiled by that team, coming back and finding that his locker was replaced and his stuff was moved, but at the same time, given COVID, there's an expectation that stuff is going to be moved if you're not there, simply for health reasons. Uh, and the fact that you couldn't understand that and then told an incredible, uh, a really good GM, not to mention an African-American GM, that this was the equivalent of modern-day slavery is uh, indicative of a lack of maturity and, frankly, a lack of moral certainty. Not moral certainty, excuse me, uh, mental certainty that he just needs to get figured out. And I hope he gets the room to figure out that he didn't, he, he hasn't gotten before, because he's a heck of a basketball player. But I'm far more concerned about Kevin Porter, uh, the young man, than I am the Hooper. You know, you mentioned that Seattle um, um, system, a lot of good players. There's a book out by John Finkel called Hoops Heist. Um, it's forwarded by Isaiah Thomas, actually, at the Coleman Native. Um, it's about Seattle, the Sonics, and how the team was moved to OKC. Doug Christie is in there. Zach Levine's from there. Jamal Crawford, Marvin Williams, tons of Seattle guys. I'm waiting on a Seattle guy to come on this podcast soon. Um, we, we, we had the, the, the privilege of, of, of working with Isaiah Thomas in, in Sacramento and that Seattle hotbed is, is it's producing a lot of talent. Yeah, I mean, it is even more recent guys like Deontay Murray, you know, Michael Porter Jr. The fact that a coach like Mark Few has been using it as just a pipeline for Gonzaga 
which has now become a pipeline for NBA players, should show you that people recognize the talent of this area. And even the fact that you go to Seattle right now and you see Supersonics jerseys left and right, and you see the, um, the people who go to Key Arena to even watch the Seattle Storm, Seattle breeds basketball and loves basketball, and a guy like Kevin Borger Jr. was molded by that. Unfortunately, what I think also is that it also breeds itself to you having a little bit of a chip on your shoulder. Hmm. We've seen that guys in guys like Luke Ridnar, who has a chip on his shoulder, because he was a white guy. Right. And for better or worse, there's a certain of expectations that come. Aaron Brooks, Isaiah Thomas, Peyton Siva, who got it because they were short guys. Guys like Zach Levine, who had a chip on their shoulder because they were seen as only dunkers. Now guys like Michael Porter Jr., who are seen as crazy. And guys like Carter Porter Jr., Jr., who, for some reason, some of his own doing, some not, are kind of seen as thugs. And we can get in. I don't really want to truly get into that because that is very troubling racial implications, obviously. Uh, but Kevin Porter Jr. does have some history, unfortunately, with some legal transgressions mm-hmm. that have led people to underestimate him and write him off. And I think that's truly gotten to him. And I think he needs to talk to the right people that tell him, you are who you are, not because of your skin color, not because of your basketball, uh, your basketball acumen, but because your mother raised a professional young man who can contribute to society even if he's not averaging 15 and 6. And until he realizes that, that it goes beyond basketball, I'm very afraid of him becoming another, you know, another Larry Sanders, another hoop dreams case where the the world of expectations causes him to crack. Definitely, definitely. Moving on over just a little bit east from Seattle, the Utah Jazz and the Denver Nuggets. Um, They are doing exceptionally well utah is on fire uh donovan mitchell is on fire denver and and my my vote for mvp uh with the joker um is on fire those two teams i don't think anyone wants to play those two teams well i mean the utah jazz are going to be underestimated for the rest of the season why because they they are the indiana pacers of the western conference uh, they're not particularly flashy, even though they have a guy like uh, Mitchell, who for some reason is sworn enemies now with uh, Shaquille O'Neal. Oh, Lord. Uh, but this is a team that produces on both ends. Mike Conley has uh, rebounded from his very shaky last year to be this truly incredible advanced stats darling. Top to bottom, what he's giving you is what about three other point guards in the league are giving you night in, night out. And Rudy Gobert uh, continues to be just that defensive stalwart. So, yeah, that team will take your best shot every night and continue to surprise you. And they do have some pieces there that lead lead you to believe that they can either develop internally, like Yudoka uh, Azebuke, or Mm -hmm. even maybe go outside the organization and improve. As for the Denver Nuggets, anyone who wrote them off before Michael Porter Jr. came back is an idiot. Because uh, that guy is the straw that serves the drink for that team. He is a spark plug. And right now, he is pretty much an automatic uh, 18.10 rebounds. Um, in addition to that, you and I, um, Nikola Jokic is our MVP pick. Definitely. What he's doing night in, night out is truly incredible. And the fact that he's been able to carry that team while Will Barton and Gary Harris and even... Um, Jamal Murray have struggled to find themselves has been remarkable. And now that those guys are starting to take some steps forward, 
uh, leads me to believe that this team is exactly the team we thought it was in the offseason, which is probably the unimpeachable third-best team in the West and a guy that can probably beat you on their best night, and that is stands to reason to work for the Lakers and the Clippers. If the Nuggets mechanism is working at all cylinders, they are going to beat you. If they're going to continue to rely on Nikola Jokic to have to step up or others cannot, I think they'll probably beat you, but it's not guaranteed. The Lakers and Clippers are still better. Uh, that being said, this team has a lot of room to grow internally, and I am waiting to see Tim Connolly consolidate some of these pieces because uh, Mike Malone is shooting himself in the foot at some time because he is working through a 13-man rotation, mm-hmm. which is not maximizing the talents of these kids. Um, and it's, it's fine for the regular season, but in the playoffs, you're not going to have P.J. Dozier playing these minutes. Um, I, I'm sorry, you just can't. And you're not going to have the room to have Facundo Campaza play these minutes when he's not giving you anything. Uh, so I'll wait till the trade line to see what that team does in terms of maximizing its capabilities. But for now, it's a deep team full of unlimited possibilities. Check these stouts out for, for Nikola Jokic. Second in player efficiency rating. I know a lot of people don't like analytics. My former GM, Rick Sun, um, brought analytics to me years ago when I was in Atlanta. And I really didn't understand it either, but he taught me how the analytics system works. And you have to use those statistics or those analytics to kind of make some of your decisions. He's second in PER in league. He's third in assist as a big man, you know, um, 9.3 assists a game. Oh, what you break into a car, Sean? What you doing, man? Uh, Give her the car back, John. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I think I'm in trouble, man. Yeah, run, run. You know, he's no, I think so. <laughs> 25 points a game, 12 rebounds, 9 assists for a 7-footer um, who looks like a point guard um, but is a big man. You know, they got Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr., Morris you know, Gary Harris, Will Barton, that roster needs to be, you know, cut down a little bit. P.J. Dozier, you know, Bow Bowl and R.J. Hampton, the two youngsters, aren't getting any playing time. I'm a Marcus Howard fan, but he's not getting any playing time. Um, and, and I think Denver is having an issue because they don't have a G League team. And that's kind of like stifling the, the uh, development of those young players. And, and they might need to consolidate just to make some moves. Yeah, I think... Um it's disappointing that guys like Bull Bull, uh, ZK Najee, Marcus Howard, guys like um, uh, I'm, even uh, Vlado Kinkar, these are guys that need minutes, and uh, their timetable doesn't match Denver or Mike Malone's. Right. So either you accelerate that timetable by forcing Malone to give them more minutes, or you move them for guys that can contribute. Because this team does have weaknesses uh, defensively, and particularly around the wing, I think uh, the loss of Jeremy Grant is much bigger than I thought it would be. Right. Particularly now that Jeremy Grant is really balling out, and that's not their fault. They matched that money. He made a conscious decision to leave. But I believe a guy like Otto Porter Jr. could help them. Even um, another two-way guard, like, say, a Marcus Smart could help them, but I don't see the Celtics necessarily parting with him. But like we, like we said, this team has the assets to make a move. In the past, they've been hesitant to do that. Um, and when they have done it, they've traded guys like Malik Beasley and Juancho Hernando Gomez, who it's not a huge loss, but uh, those are depth pieces that could perhaps pay over the guys they have right now. So 
it's just a matter of making a tactical evaluation of the guys you have, parting with the guys you don't need, and just hoping for the best. You know, I think uh, Harvey's son made a bad decision going to Detroit. Um, I know he probably didn't want to be the fourth or fifth option in Denver to be the second option, I guess, behind Blake Griffin. But that I, I wonder if what he's thinking about that now, especially since Denver did match him or match that contract. And I'm just wondering, hey, do I want to go to Detroit and, and be the worst team in the East? Or do I want to compete for championships year after year? And I guess sometimes um, the heart wants what it wants. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up because this has been something I've been tossing over in my mind for about three weeks because uh, I've been listening to podcasts, going on message boards, and I see these posts that say, well, Jeremy Grant bet on himself, and I mean, who can doubt him? It's, it's sure working out. And yes and no, right? Right. Jeremy Grant bet on himself that he was a much better player than he showed before, and you know what? He's right. 24 points per game, 7 rebounds, 3 assists. He's the mecha, he's uh, the machinery that team runs on. Um, that being said, the Pistons are awful. They're awful. Worse than that, they're boring, and it doesn't look like it's getting better any soon. Uh, they're 4-13. and 13. Blake Griffin has regressed to the point that I am doubtful whether they can trade him for anything other than just a sheer salary dump. And you're going to take another bad contract and probably not get a, get, not get a, lot of, not a, get a lot of good assets. In addition to that, they gave Mason Plumley and Delon, Delon um, Wright money uh, and minutes that are detracting from guys that need those minutes. Uh, for some reason, Sika Dumboya is not in the rotation. Mm-hmm. That's bad. Isaiah Stewart and Sadiq Pei are playing well. But yes. They're not getting nearly enough minutes for my liking. And even guys like uh, Saban Lee or uh, Servidius should probably be playing over guys like Wayne Ellington. And let's go back to the guy that started this, Jeremy Grant. What is Jeremy Grant doing for that team that Christian Wood didn't do, that frankly giving a guy like Siku more minutes and Isaiah Stewart aren't going to give you? Because at the end of the day, he is the best player on a bad team, which is good and bad because he's showing that he's a much better basketball player than I thought he was. He looked completely out of control in those Denver playoff series when he was expected to be the number one option. Now he looks focused and composed, but now he looks like a guy who's going to miss the playoffs for the next three years, who easily could have been the number three option on this Denver Nuggets team that's going to threaten the Lakers and the Clippers. Maybe not beat them, but threaten them for the next five years until LeBron James retires. And then you know what? That team's still going to be young and good. So, yes, I feel great that Jeremy Grant is is happy, that he's proven to himself and to others that he's more than just your typical 3-and-D guy. But time and time again, I go back to thinking about that Denver team and the opportunity he left. And um, I'm not sure it was a sacrifice I would have made. You know, when you when you mentioned the two contracts between Christian Wood and Jeremy Grant, Jeremy Grant, 19, 20, and $20 million. Christian Wood is 13, 13, and $14 million. So there's $6 million a year for three years, which equals to $18 million for those who don't do math too well. They could have saved $18 million by signing Christian Wood. And he was doing almost as well as what Jeremy Grant is doing. And I think that that's worth $18 million Um, with Blake Griffin. Not only that. Go ahead. Exactly. Not only that, but you could have had both. You could have had both. You know, and Blake. 15.5 under the tax. Right. 
And Blake is not giving you anything. 13 points a game for a guy making almost $40 million a year. He's definitely going to opt into that player option next year. He'd be a fool to opt out of that. Um, but you never know. He might have a promise somewhere, which and I wouldn't know where. But it's, it's Detroit just looks like, you know, they don't, they're kind of stuck. Um, I do like Isaiah Stewart. I do like Sadiq Bey. Um, I hope Killian Hayes can, can get to healthy. And they have a young core. They just have to let that young core play together. Yeah, and um, I, I just don't really understand what Troy Weaver was doing this offseason. He talked a big game, and I can understand that you have the cap room. Why not spend it? But at the same time, the areas he addressed um, just added more and more redundancies to the team that he just didn't need to do in addition to that, I'm not an expert, but from what I've heard, Christian Wood was more than willing to explore coming back. He, in fact, he, he was interested, and uh, they made him wait for a contract so that they could get guys like Mason Plumlee that they simply just didn't need. And I think it's going to come back to haunt them if it hasn't already, because this is a team that just has too many guys and not enough minutes. Um so uh, their best option, frankly, is probably to trade Jeremy Grant for picks because <laughs> they can. Which sounds crazy. <laughs> even, it, it sounds crazy, but you're going to get something back for him. And even that, maybe even package him and Blake Griffin together just to move that salary. And then what do you do? You're in an offseason where all the best free agents are gone. And what do you do? You offer John Collins and Lori Markin and Max Fields. Like, it's it's a perpetual cycle of panic that the Pistons have been for the last decade and uh, – there's no easy answers than simply hoping that internally Isaiah Stewart and Steve Bay are superstars. You know, the thing about it is I am a firm believer in I don't care if I have the cap space, I doesn't mean I need to spend it. You know, I don't I, that's just just how I'm going to operate, you know, my team. If I got 40, 50 million dollars in cap space and I'm in Detroit, Yes, I understand you have to overpay to get guys there, but I'm not overpaying guys when I know I'm still going to have the worst record in the league. I'll, I'll pay the guys who come through my system. You know, like I said, with Killian Hayes, Sadiq Bey, they, their backcourt is set. You know, um, if Derrick Rose is available, I can trade Derrick Rose and get something for him. You know, no one's going to take Blake Griffin, but it doesn't mean I'm going to sign Jeremy Grant to an astronomical amount of money just to sign someone. Like you said, Troy Weaver did something just to do something. And you can't, success won't find you if you're spending money just because you have it. You need to be smart with that money. Um, you also brought up a point I want to get back to, the Donovan Mitchell and, and Shaquille O'Neal thing. You know, Donovan Mitchell um, was doing a, a post-game report on TNT, and Shaq pretty much said, I don't think you got it. I think I see what Shaq was trying to do by trying to motivate, but I think what he did, it was just wrong of him. You know, if someone did that to Shaq, if Carl Malone did that to Shaq when Shaq was a youngster, Shaq would have had a problem with it, an issue with it. And I, I don't understand why Shaq did that. So those are just some things that just go across my mind. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, Shaq is an entertainer. So I try not to, you know, he's not Zach Lowe. Right? He's not right. a basketball analyst. He's a guy who is there to rile Charles Barkley up and, and give a couple good laughs every once in a while. That being said, he um, he has tried to reframe himself as being a little more thoughtful. As we saw when he had that speech about James Harden immediately after Harden was traded by the Nets, where he talks about professionalism 
and how much a guy like Shaquille O'Neal learned from the mistakes he made in the past when he was a brash young man. That being said, he's still being brash, and he's still running into situations that he isn't fully informed about, except now he can't dunk on you on anything other than social media. Right. And it's, it's, it's odd. Um, it started with Rudy Gobert. It's moved on to his teammate, Donovan Mitchell. Maybe it's something about Utah. Uh, I don't know. But I understand giving these guys locker room material, but I don't understand doing it uh, with, no, with no context and no uh, factual basis. If I say to Donovan Mitchell, you're, n- you're not the number one, one guy, you can't win a championship, okay, right now, Donovan Mitchell has not won a championship, right? right in right. fact, he's a guy that got into a shootout with Jamal Murray last year and won. But when I dig in and I start making things personal and I start going on Instagram and I start talking to his fans, what am I doing? I'm just being a fire starter, right? I'm just being a guy who wants the world, wants to watch the world burn. And then I'm devaluing my opinion because I'm not backing it up with anything other than more. And um, it, it, it's just, it's just a bad look because in the past, TNT was kind of unimpeachable, right? Right. They love them. The players loved them. The ratings loved them. The Emmys loved them. But now, if they have now resorted to be um, these bullies, artists, <laughs> these bullies, yes, yes, <laughs> yes. What differentiates them from Steve A. Smith, Shannon Sharp, Max Kellerman? Almost nothing. And we've seen by the ratings from those channels, ESPN and Fox Sports One, we're not really interested in that anymore. Right. We want to be entertained, yes, but we want to be informed, and what we don't want to see it is pissing matches. Right. Because we can find that in every other avenue of pop culture. So if I'm the producers of TNT, I'm telling you guys, like, look, don't change who you are, but change who you target. Because right now it seems like you're punching down on these guys like um, like Shaq does to Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell and leaving guys unharmed. Like, when was the speech he gave about Kyrie Irving? I haven't seen it. When was the speech he gave about LeBron James? I haven't seen it. Um, I'm, I view these targets he picks as wrong-headed and, um, and easy and cheap. Right. And uh, it's, 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 uh, it's less entertaining than it was three or four years ago when we were clowning on JaVale McGee for stepping out of bounds or throwing right. a ball off somebody's head. Right, and definitely. a guy like Donovan Mitchell who's working his butt off to get better day in, day out. Definitely, definitely. I, I agree with you there. Um, the Phoenix Suns, they started off hot. They, they're... They're coming back down to earth. They were like the number two seed a week or two ago. Now they're down to the seventh seed. What's going on with Phoenix? Is are they getting figured out? Uh, is Chris Paul kind of hit a wall a little bit? There's something going on with them. I'm I'm worried. I'm very worried about them. I think to start the sea uh, start the season, uh, the sheer shine of having a guy like Chris Paul was um, masking weaknesses. Uh, that are showing right now. In addition to that, um, the development of Mikael Bridges and Jay Crowder and the quiet consistency of Cameron Johnson and Cameron Payne are um, also distracting from the fact that um, Devin Booker is struggling. 
He's gotten a lot better the last week until that injury. Mm-hmm. But he was not giving you what he wanted, shooting 34 from three when he's supposed to be one of the best shooters in the league. In addition to that, um, DeAndre Ayton still a little too inconsistent despite giving very clear and obvious signs that that dude's a player. Right. And finally, um, these rotations uh, that they're running are, are nonsensical. Uh, Damon Jones should not be playing at all. At frankly. all. Right now, he's played five games, which is fine, but to start the season, he was taking minutes uh, from guys like Jalen Smith that need those minutes to thrive. Uh, in addition to that, Frank Kaminsky is playing far, far too much. Abel Nader, 27 years old, not going to be much in the league, playing far, far too much. And finally, giant red flag. Uh, Chris Paul looks terrible. He really does. Um, he was having good effects on that team's defense, which is fine. Uh, because that team was stifling to start the year, which is good. And he's still laying out assists, but he cannot shoot anymore, which is uh, which is very, very bad. He's now under underneath uh, 28%, which is just, just terrible. In addition to that, he's not aggressive at all. He's shooting 98% from the line. That's awesome. But he's getting three attempts per game, and that's unacceptable for a guy like Chris Paul. He used to attack and either pull up from the mid-range or bury you based on free throws. Um, I don't want to put the nail in his coffin, but he is not the player he was last year in Oklahoma City. He's not giving his teammates the same effect that guys like SGA got and guys like Schroeder Schroeder got last year, excuse me. Uh, And right now he's a giant contract, two years, 41 million, who is not playing up to any standards, including the standards he hold himself up to. And he has a player option, and I just like Blake Griffin. I doubt Chris Paul will opt out of that player option, because just because of their age, and they're not going to get that elsewhere, you know, unless it's an, an extra extension of things of that sort. Um, I don't know what's going on with Phoenix as well. I think um, um, they have uh, a lot of work to do. I hope Monty Williams can get that together, um, and 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 we shall see about that as well. What's up with Dallas? They seem to. Um, can't get it together. I don't know if it's just the Porzingis thing or things of that sort, but they're currently sitting like ninth or 10th in the league in the West. And we, we expect a little more. We were, we were thinking Dallas was going to at least get to the second round of the playoffs. looks like they might not even make it. Yeah. I, I've been more encouraged um, at the signs I've been seeing from uh, Dallas as of late. Uh, but there's still pretty clear indicators that this team has regressed in some ways while um, becoming better in some areas. Right. Last year, they couldn't defend at all, but they were the most efficient offense in the league, and frankly, one of the most efficient offenses in NBA history. Uh, now it is the opposite. Uh, they are very poor offensively. They are um, 20th in points per game. They have the 15th offensive rating, the very epitome of middle of the road. While their defense um, is, is, has improved it, improved quite a bit, right? They're only giving up 109.9 points per game. But when you're only scoring 109.6, you're going to lose ball games. <laughs> um, in addition to that, I think the loss of Seth Curry has affected them mm-hmm. um, more than we could expect. Mm. Because it was a trade-off. They got Josh Richardson to mitigate some of that shooting, but he's a better defender. And then they got James Johnson to give you some of um, that defense while having almost no offensive impact at all. And to his credit, he has been truly incredible defensively. 
Uh, that being said, they refused to address the center position in the hopes that a healthy Porzingis would help allow Willie Cauley's sign um, to less of an onus on him to thrive offensively and be better defensively. And Willie Cauley's sign has played well, except that four-headed monster of uh, WCS, Dwight Powell, Bobin, and Maxi Cleaver are... I'd much rather have one competent center than I would four because um, in addition to those guys to give you a middling result, Tim Hardaway has been shucking, looking terrible, and um, they are dependent on Luca to go off and to have huge games from either Jalen Brunson or Trey Burke. And when of those guys is not producing, then you're a team that has an elite facilitator with no one to facilitate to. Uh, I think that team can get better as they get healthier. I think uh, Tim Hardaway will get better. I think he'll start knocking down shots, and I hope Porzingis can stay healthy. But until that team can find a middle ground between being, oh, we're defense instead of offense, or, oh, we're just offense to defense, and just played solid team oriented basketball, then um, they're not going to go uh, particularly far. You know, Luca is also having an all-world season, 27 points, almost 10 rebounds and 10 assists, 9.8 and 9.9 respectively. Um, I think that Dallas should be on the Andre Drummond um, watch as well because um, that can take Kristaps out of that paint where he does not flourish. I thought Dallas should have went after Dwight Howard to kind of help Willie Cauley-Stein after what I saw from Dwight in, with the Lakers last year because he's doing pretty good in Philly. I just thought that maybe, you know, that change of scenery is always good. I thought Dallas should have taking a stab at Dwight who still has some basketball left I'm I'm worried about Dallas and with the picks that they gave up to get Porzingis you know they got two um young guys in, in Green and, and Tyler Bay but those picks they might miss those picks especially if they don't make the playoffs I mean, this was a team I think that problems should have been addressed in the offseason in a Miles Turner Victor Oladipo trade because mm. both those guys were available from the Pacers and could have been had not necessarily for cheap but for very movable contracts and instead they went a different direction and uh, now they have very clear and obvious needs that could have been filled by those two guys and that wouldn't have been a long-term salary commitment because Oladipo would have been a free agent and Miles Turner is I mean he's making 18 million yes but he's doing everything that the Mavericks desperately need I completely agree with you about Dwight Howard I think that was a conscious decision by a guy like Mark Cuban and Rick Carlisle that didn't want that kind of personality in the locker room. And I think it's a team that could still benefit uh, even from, God, who was I Who was I just thinking? I had a guy on my mind that I think would be perfect. Even a guy like um, Nikola uh, uh, Vucevic, mm-hmm. who I think could be moved for the right pieces for the Magic. A guy like uh, Valanciunas. Yep. From the Grizzlies, yep. although now that you're directly competing for a playoff spot with the Grizzlies, probably less ideal. Right. And frankly, even a guy like Al Horford would look pretty good, but that's a lot of money that you don't necessarily have right now. But you, you don't. you have movable contracts in Tim Hardway and James Johnson. Definitely, so definitely. it's going to be a sacrifice. And it's not going to be easy. It never is. And like you said, they are, direct, they are bereft of picks right now. They have one pick for next draft. It is a second-round pick that is what? Going to be, I don't know, the 46th pick of a draft? Something like that. Good. Yeah. Not a great, not, not a great, not, a, not, not great. Not a guy that you can bank on playing in your rotation. No, definitely not. So 
I uh, I will never doubt those guys in Dallas because I think they're very smart. Mm-hmm. And I think to their credit, they're not locked into any terrible conversations other than Porzingis. Uh, so we'll, we'll see what they do, but they're going to have to do something because the pieces they have are not working yet. Yeah, because what you don't want is is Luca coming up contract time and saying, hey, I'm, I'm not going to continue to get beat up and have nothing to show for it. Especially with Luca being on the type of timetable right now where potentially he could find himself with Miami Heat with a lot of cap room, mm-hmm. with the Toronto Raptors with a lot of cap room. And if I'm the Milwaukee Bucks and a guy like Drew Holiday maybe opts out of his team option, I start to explore trading Chris Middleton and Brooke Lopez just to clear salary to say, Luca, we got Giannis locked in. Let's make some beautiful music together. Let's make some beautiful music together. Um, are the New Orleans Pelicans, are they disappointing you this season? Uh, that seems a disaster. Yeah. I won't say I'm disappointed in them because I found their uh, offseason to be very confusing. On one hand, I loved what Griffin did in terms of becoming a facilitator in these trades and just locking up um, so many, so many draft picks. It's beautiful. It is beautiful. Uh, in addition to that, um, locking up Brandon Ingram for that contract was the right move. Yeah, you had to do that. Really did, uh, but I see no reason why they extended Stephen Adams. No reason whatsoever. Uh, Stephen Adams is playing very well, and that's wonderful. Uh, but he is detracting from every other aspect of that team. Um, and in addition to that, he's giving you nothing that Derek Favors didn't give you on a lot less money last year. Uh, what's happening right now is deeply troubling. Uh, Lonzo Ball has regressed to the point where people are starting to just call him a bust. I'm not ready to say that, but it's, it's, uh, there's troubling indicators that he's not shooting anymore. Uh, that shooting dip that he had in the bubble has carried over. He shouldn't be on this team at all. Right. Because he's taking minutes from Kira Lewis Jr., who's not getting whatsoever, and from uh, Alexander Walker, who's really showing that he could be something special and needs definitive minutes, probably as a starter. Um, finally, um, I'm a little worried about Zion Williamson. Um, he's unimpeachable attacking the, the paint, right? You give him the ball underneath the basket, he has two points. Done. 23 points per game, he's great. However, eight rebounds per game, it's good, but it's not necessarily you want. Right. Particularly when no one else on that team has more than nine. And finally, defensively, he is a disaster. Yes. It's real bad. And um, it is bad to the point where now the team is playing better with him on the bench, even though he has automatic points when he's on the floor. And uh, finally, um, Stan Van Gundy was not the right coach for that team. Right. I'm ready to say that now, even though I was the guy who really liked the hire. Mm-hmm. But the system he is playing is far, far too slow. And now it is looking like they never should have fired their previous coach, um, who was apparently getting more from this team than they should have expected. Uh, in addition to that, this was a team that needs a guy like Mike D'Antoni to have these guys run and gun because then they were playing slow and deliberate right. half-court basketball right. which a bunch of guys who just can't shoot and even though they can't shoot they can't rebound you're going to lose basketball games and that's a team that's poised to go one of two ways they start to they make a terrible trade and they panic 
or they start to find out that maybe they need to explore trading Alonzo, JJ, Eric Bledsoe, and start the clock backwards on Zion and Brandon, which is real bad because you know what? That sounds real familiar. It sounds a lot like what they did with Anthony Davis and that's deja vu all over again. You so, know, um, play it smart. The thing about it is, so there, there are um, rumors going around now that, that Lonzo Ball and J.J. Redick are up for the block. There's a Kelly Oubre for, I think, J.J. Redick that could be happening. Um, that could help the Warriors and J.J. Redick, and that can help the Pelicans because they have money falling off the books. But I don't see what New Orleans, um, I mean, they have a, tr- a ton of picks coming up. Um, but y- like you said, the Anthony Davis situation. Now, fortunately, see, I'm a firm believer in if you're close to home, You'll play a little bit better, a la Dame Lillard in Portland. He's as close to home as he's going to get. And Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson, both being Southern guys, I don't think that they would be more inclined to leave New Orleans because it's close to home. Um, Whereas Lonzo Ball, being a California guy, may be ready to get out of there and go at least as back west as close as he can get. You know, I just just hope that... um, Pick up the dishes. I just hope that. Uh, uh, <laughs> I just hope that. It's a mess. It's okay. I just hope that the Pelicans don't make a trade to make a trade. I don't think anyone wants Eric Bledsoe. You know, um, maybe the Knicks, but I don't even think they would want him. You know, maybe the Clippers to send him back to to where he started. But they either Lonzo and like you said, Nikhil Alexander is is a, a heck of a player. Um, cousin of shy Gillix alexander so there's something there from those canadians and and i think that lonzo ball jj reddick it, it may be time for them to 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 get out of dodge and and let's just hope david griffin um figures it out and here's what i do uh, real quick yeah if i'm them i uh i view lonzo ball as a guy that should go in a challenge trade uh, meaning a guy like him who's probably about to go in restricted free agency, a guy that's underperformed but can maybe in the right system help improve uh, the team. I think there's a value in trying to move Lonzo and Eric Lezzo together to a team like the Bulls. I think the, the Pelicans will have to add a pick, maybe a protected first, maybe one of their Lakers picks. But if they can get a guy like Otto Porter and a guy like Lowry Markinen together, Oof. where they can value those value Otto Porter as a 3-and-D guy that will improve spacing, a bit of a veteran presence, who is expiring and maybe would be willing to commit to a, a shorter contract in the future. And then a guy like Lowry Markkinen, who looks like um, he's coming around a little bit, but would truly benefit from having a playmaking facilitator that the Bulls simply do not have, but could be found uh, in New Orleans. I think that's a challenge trade worth exploring because you clear that Eric Bledsoe money and you get a guy like Lowry Markkinen who is the same age as Lonzo Ball, mm-hmm. uh, pretty much the same contract status, uh, and it's probably a win-win for both teams. I think you're right. I think you're right. Let's let's switch gears a little bit. Um, it's the year anniversary of, of Kobe Bryant's death, 15 years of his 81-point game. Been watching a lot of... of, of information you know stories about him it's i can't keep doing this you know because it 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 brings me back down and and the greatness of kobe bryant you know i I just i understand people need to mourn and grieve and and you know great player on and off the court 
and it, it you know yesterday i was cool today i'm watching all these tributes and it just brings me back down again where i have to turn off the television um your thoughts on on, on kobe bryant well i um i want to talk real quick about the coverage yeah because i agree with you um that it feels almost vampiric the way he is being exploited right now in a way I don't think Kobe would have wanted. Right. Um, I think what we saw from Kobe Bryant in the unfortunately, tragically, two fewer years following his retirement was a guy who valued his privacy, who wanted to communicate in the public to the public in two specific ways through his family, particularly his beautiful daughters, mm-hmm. uh, one of which, Gianna, we unfortunately lost in that accident too and through his artistic works, which came from uh, producing documentaries and artistic statements, uh, which I believe were um, incredibly impactful and are emblematic of the type of man he would have continued to be, a guy who learned from mistakes as a younger man, a brash guy that wanted to date supermodels, who wanted to make rap albums, who became a man, who embodied a mentality that has a name, the Mamba mentality Mm -hmm. that is emblematic of competition and hardworking that I think more people uh, should value. And now he has become a, a Princess Di-esque martyr, uh, which I find to be uh, gross. Right. And um, I was at ESPN in a production um, capacity when uh, Jose Fernandez died. Right. If you remember Jose Fernandez. Mm-hmm. The um, Miami Marlins was, pitcher. Um, special yeah he was on the verge of being something special right and i remember i was in the newsroom as a production assistant meaning i was basically a gopher uh helping people however i could Mm -hmm. and when the news came we were in shock for 15 minutes right Mm -hmm. and 15 minutes afterwards they had espn had sent their best reporters down to florida to figure this out and sent their best interns and PAs down to the edit bay to make footage. Right. To make um, these Tom Rinaldi, Chris Connolly voiced voiceover pieces. Right. These Will Bond voiceover pieces. Right. right? Which are unimpeachably incredible, right? Mm -hmm. They are moving, but they are agenda-driven. Right. Uh, I did the same thing with uh, Craig Sager. I must have made nine Craig Sager tributes over the span of three days, and you become numb to it as a kid, as a kid, right? Right. I don't blame the machinery at ESPN because these kids are overworked, underpaid, and truly incredible at what they do. And to give people an idea, uh, these are all about 19 to 28-year-old guys who produce much of what you see at ESPN. But the edict comes from producers who are also hardworking and diligent who get the edict from the men at the top. Uh, The same goes for TNT, the same goes for Fox. Uh, And we have created a Kobe Bryant product that we are selling, um, which he doesn't, wouldn't have wanted, which Vanessa Bryant would have wanted, which his daughters wouldn't have wanted, which those people who um, have died in that helicopter crash which we get far little memory to. Right. Uh, because they were people too. Yes. Uh, they were people trying to go to a place. 
the helicopter pilot was a guy who had a world of expectations on him to get Kobe Bryant, a celebrity, to a place he wanted to be in unideal competition, not competition conditions, and he died tragically as well, uh, and he's a victim as well. Right. Um, and the product, the monetization of death, is a deeper story that you and I could get into, uh, but it is, a, it is a sign, and it is a gross sign, and we need to recognize Kobe Bryant for the man he was, the truly great basketball player, but he does not need to be the leading news because he wouldn't have wanted it that way. And, and he there's... would have much rather had his name raised to the Raptors and the Lakers, um, a tip of the hat to him, a, sh- a shattering of a champagne glass, then he would an hour and a half special every night. Right. So uh, when do we say enough is enough, Derek? Right. And and there's there's not, I guess, you know, we all grieve in, in certain ways. We all have, have you know... Um, had some sort of loss um, in our lives. And, you know, it's it's one of those things where imagine his wife and, and, and remaining children, who they, they don't want to see that, you know. And it's kind of like uh, we, the, the, they're monetizing on, on his legacy. And I understand they want to have a story. But sometimes silence is worth more than continuing to, to go. And, and of course, we all want to remember Kobe for, for all the things that he was able to do um, and, and things like that. But like you said, a lot of people lost their lives that day. And, and not that they're, you know, like the ESPNs of the world shouldn't have a sports story. But I think it, it, it's going to become too much. And, you know, with that, this will be you know, one of our last times pretty much not talking about Kobe Bryant, the player, but this will be one of the last time we talk about Kobe Bryant and his untimely um, passing because it's just, it's, I, I can't take it anymore. It's, it's, it's just, I those emotions need to just stay where they are and not be brought up, you know, um, every single year. Um, you know, well, I mean, what we need to remember at the end of the day is that these guys are people. I thought it was unsurprising but very unprofessional that somebody asked Mark Gasol about Kobe Bryant's death. Right. Given what we know about how close the Gasol family right. was, the right. Bryant family, given that my understanding is the reason Mark Gasol went to the Lakers beyond championship intentions is to help the Gasol family, uh, not Gasol family, excuse me, the Bryant family mourn. Right. These are people, uh, these are not sound bites. These are not video game characters. These are guys who play basketball for a living and then go home to their kids right. or their girlfriends right. or, or anything like that. And for us to treat them as uh, as headlines rather than people is a bridge we need to walk. As former PR guys, you and I know how important it is for both sides to uh, recognize that the importance of this right of the importance of professionalism it's important not to tell a reporter to screw off because they can give you just as much to an organization as a player can often. right it's a it's a, a conduit to the most important people the fans but at the same time you need to understand you can't walk up to a guy and say hey uh didn't your friend die last year Talk right about that right because um it's incredibly untoward and it leads me to believe that uh there's a lack of seriousness, uh, and we need to reevaluate that as right. a culture at large beyond basketball, uh, and I don't think we're quite there yet. 
you know, I, I can't wait for the movie. I, I will say that. I can't wait for the movies. I was watching a, a T-Mobile commercial, the, the television, I mean, the telephone company. There's a guy on there that looks just like Kobe Bryant. Next time you watch the T-Mobile commercial, there's a guy. I tell you, he's going to play. He's going to play that part. I can't wait for the movie. Um, but like I said, it's OK, everyone to mourn. But it let let. There are families who are mourning more than us as fans. So let's make sure that we give them that respect um, going forward. Let's shout out the ladies. Natalie Sago, Jenna Schrader. They become the first two women to officiate the same NBA game. Amber Nichols was named general manager of the Capital City Go-Go's, the Washington Wizards G League team. Tori Miller was named the general manager of the College Park Skyhawks, the Atlanta Hawks G League team. Sarah Thomas, she will be the first woman to referee the NFL Super Bowl. Jennifer King has become an offensive coach for the Washington football team. The lovely, lovely Amanda Gorman with her inauguration poetry. Asia Wilson, South Carolina has a statue in front of the South Carolina Gamecocks um, stadium. She said two generations ago, her grandmother couldn't even step foot on the state on those grounds. And she has a statue. And then finally, our MVP, our Madam Vice President, Oakland born and raised just like myself, Kamala Harris. The ladies are taking over, guys. We better get with it. this is just commonplace until it's not a new story and uh, I'm very happy that I think that day is going to come sooner rather than later I'm very encouraged at the moves we've taken I also want to give shout, shout outs to uh, Becky Hammond Becky Hammond who, um, <laughs> who is going to become the next uh, NBA uh, first female NBA head coach uh, Nancy Lieberman who made an incredible uh, steps forward in the past uh, Diana Taurasi even Kara Lawson, who yes. has proven that woman, she doesn't need to be pigeonholed as a women's basketball player, a women's basketball commentator. She can do both. Definitely. And do it with a plum. And finally, this is a name that few people are going to know, but I'd uh, advise you to pay attention to. Um, my uh, last true basketball PR job was with the Chicago Sky, uh, where my boss was a, a woman named uh, Lauren Nimiera. I might be mispronouncing that. And uh, Lauren was incredibly hardworking, uh, undervalued there, but she was about 24 to 25 years old and in charge of a G League, not G League, a WNBA PR department, which if anybody knows the WNBA, uh, they know how incredible that is. Yes. Because she was doing the work that an incredible, uh, their own department would do. And what Lauren did at the end of my internship was truly incredible. Uh, she announced she was resigning, and she was going to referee school in New York. And uh, since then, she has graduated the program, and she has become a G League referee. And I believe she is a couple years uh, away from uh, from uh, obtaining her goal and uh, becoming an NBA referee. And that's the sign of somebody who is willing to take risks, uh, pursue opportunities, and a sign to everybody not to be discouraged, not to be complacent. She took three steps back professionally so that she could take four steps forward for not only herself, but her gender. 
And uh, that her hers is a testament. Those names you mentioned, Miss Nichols, Tarazi, all of these people are a testament to the progress we are making and to the fact that anybody who says, oh, we're still a fundamentally broken society is a schmuck who shouldn't be valued. Right. Because we recognize that change needs to be made and it is being made, perhaps not as fast as we want it to be made, but we are leaps and bounds forward from where you were when I was a kid, from where I was when I was a kid, from years and years ago, from when a woman like Sarah Palin ran for vice president, mm-hmm. from when uh, Trump, uh, for all of his faults, put together an all-female uh, PR communication staff, from now Kamala Harris being a heartbeat away from the presidency, from Washington to uh, NBA basketball, from anywhere you look, uh, sisters are doing it by themselves, as yep. you say, yep. uh, and they're truly doing it incredibly well so hats off to the ladies i, I am so I, I sent uh amber an email last week i said i was so proud of her um for 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 that position and you know amber and tori especially being in basketball because that's where you and i have our our, our love the most of i'm so looking forward to those two ladies and seeing what they do and how they continue to progress to the big leagues um while they're getting the learning and the things that they're getting out of the way and, and running those organizations. So I'm so looking forward to seeing what happens with them. Also, selfishly, uh, if any of you ladies would like to hire us, uh, <laughs> sure <can>. <laughs> <laughs> Mike Tomlin brought on Dwayne Haskins. Let's talk a little football here. I am yeah. so, I am so hoping that Mike Tomlin can help Dwayne Haskins become a man on and off the field, and I really believe that he is going to. I, I hope so, too. I think it's the best possible situation uh, for him to have been because I think Dwayne Askins probably could have found a job, say, with the Texans or even my Bears pretty easily, and it would have been a wrong situation because there's a lot of uncertainty in those organizations, but what is not uncertain is... Uh, the professionalism and competency of uh, guys like the Rooney family mm-hmm. and uh, Mr. Tomlin, right. who is truly a special leader of men. And what Dwayne Haskins needs is um, a guy who can sit down with him and not necessarily parent him, but be the kind of coach on and off the field that he has not gotten before. Because Dwayne Haskins' talent is... Um, Unimpeachable. I keep using unimpeachable. Yeah, that's the fifth time, but that's okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's recognizable. <laughs> it's apparent. Why do we say that? Because the guy was a 70% passer uh, during his college career. And I watched him play. And while, yes, that Ohio State receiving core was truly talented, you don't complete 70% of your passes by being a bum. Right. You truly don't. Um. And I like the idea of him being in a quarterback room, led um, a, a team led by Mike Tomlin, but having a guy uh, like Roethlisberger, who um, may retire, frankly, probably should retire, mm-hmm. but might have guys like Josh Dobbs in it, right. who I don't think are incredibly talented, but I think um, as a young man, you could do so much worse than valuing Josh Dobbs. Right who I believe is intellectually um, 
incredible. I like Josh Dobbs uh, a lot. I mean, not even just for okay. not for as the as the quarterback, but more as the film guy. He can probably get you more prepared than a lot of people. Not only that, but he's a guy who's been through so much. Right. Uh, an autoimmune disorder like alopecia. Right. A guy who went to a team, uh, an organization, uh, a school like Tennessee. Right. Uh, which is self destructing at the time and continues to self destruct to this day. And yet he had a four point a four point oh GPA. Essentially, it's a little bit short of a rocket scientist, right? And not in a fundamentally disgusting way like uh, Matt Patricia sold himself, but right? As a really incredible uh, way. So uh, I do hope Josh Dobbs is in that locker room with Dwayne Haskins, even in a practice squad capacity, because uh, I think it would be nice. And uh, I think if Dwayne Haskins is to succeed, it will be in this situation. Uh, more so than any others. So uh, good, good for him. You know, for me, though, it's just kind of like I, I don't trust the Ohio State football player. I don't. I, I, I don't. Except for Chase Young. He's probably the only one that I'm trusting right now. I mean, if you look at even Ezekiel Elliott is not really um, um, the guy that, that people think he is, you know, and you can go, you know, Kyle Fields has a lot of of pressure on him as well coming out of Ohio State so I just I just don't know if it's the Urban Meyer quarterback the Ohio State quarterback or what Bobby Hoying or, or guys of that nature you know um, I, I just hope that Mike Tomlin can tap into uh, Dwayne Haskins as no one else can and be somewhat of a father figure to him uh, speaking of which is Aaron Rodgers out of Green Bay Yeah, I mean, I'm uh, I'm biased. Because, of course you are. Uh, I, I hate I hate the Packers. Yeah, the burning fire of a thousand suns. Yeah. Um, the fact that they have uh, had two Hall of Fame quarterbacks consecutively for thirty years and have won two championships, I think, is the indicator that there's more wrong with that organization than any of us recognize. Right. And that those quarterbacks have helped disguise. Um, that being said, I, um, I can't see a situation where Rodgers is not playing for Green Bay just because of contractually and the fact that I think that team will bend over backwards to make him happy, even go so far as to fire LeFleur. Right. LeFleur. But I believe they would if he asked. Right. Right. I, I mean, for, they would. for him to make the call, they're down eight with two minutes and four seconds to go at the eight-yard line, fourth and goal, and they kick a field goal and trying to get their defense to stop Tom Brady um, from just getting a first down. Not a touchdown, a first down was was a terrible coaching decision. And then when Aaron Rodgers gave his post game, he said it wasn't his decision. That right there told me he was done. You know, him seeing Tom Brady leave New England to go to Tampa, immediately take them to the Super Bowl, um, they drafted a first-round quarterback with him having still three years left on his contract. Those are just just different things where I said, okay, Aaron Rodgers is out of here. Um, and, and maybe he needs – it's time for him to get out of there. And, and, and I kind of hope he does. You can come to my Raiders all day, Aaron. We'll, we will gladly send Derek Carr packing. And let me say it right here. Uh, should Aaron Rodgers go to the Rams oh, or the uh, Niners? Or the 49ers? Oh. That team is making the Super Bowl. Yeah, or the Saints. That team is making the Super Bowl. No question about it. Yes, definitely. Um, I don't think we can stress enough uh, what the Green Bay Packers did this draft is unforgivable. Right. They, they traded up 
in the first round for a guy like Jordan Love, mm-hmm. who I believe may have still been available in the third or fourth round, frankly. Right. Because Jordan Love was nothing if not inconsistent. He's a toolsy guy that you pray can be like Patrick Mahomes. But that's a guy who sits on the bench for two years or behind a guy like Jordan Rogers for a year with no expectation. Right. And the minute you call him the heir apparent for Aaron Rodgers, the guy who's going to retire as the second best quarterback of all time. Um, <laughs> Hold on. Not only, not only that, <laughs> their second round pick was A.J. Dillon. A.J. the running back, exactly. Their third string running back who only got playing time because their first string quarterback got banged up. Right. Their third round pick was a tight end named Josiah Degara. Guess what? Never heard of him. Yeah. Their fourth round pick, inside linebacker, Kamal Martin. Their fifth pick of the draft, John Runyon, a guard. And you know why I recognize him? Because his daddy's yep. famous. Yep. <laughs> this team had very obvious needs in the wide receiver. This is a team that had the best offensive line in the league, but probably could have drafted another offensive lineman because guess what? When they lost back to Yari late in the season, the offensive line looked human. Definitely. This is a team that has done nothing for Aaron Rodgers, who has done everything for them. So as a Chicago Bears fan, Aaron Rodgers, leave. Get out of here. I'll buy you a ticket. Who you got in the Super Bowl, Sean? Please don't come with the I can't hate on the greatness of Tom Brady. Yes, this is Tom Brady's 10th Super Bowl in 55 attempts um, for the whole entire NFL, which is a little bit less than 20%, which is remarkable in itself. Um, I am going to still see. I'm, I'm, I'm picking Kansas City to win the Super Bowl, though. I mean, I, I think they will win. I, I, I want to give you the cliche, the cliche speech, though, about never doubting Tom Brady. Right. Because um, I, I cheered for Tom Brady twice in his career. Twice, ever. The first was 20 years ago when, as a young man, I resented the Rams for their success, and I wanted the Patriots to beat them. Gotcha. The second time I cheered for, for uh, Tom Brady was uh, last week <laughs> when I wanted nothing more for him than to send Aaron Rodgers home. And guess what? He gave me my wish. His work here is done. His work here um, is done. That being said, that being said um, he's playing uh, the, the next great man. You know how I said Aaron Rodgers is going to retire as the second best quarterback of all time? Yep. Uh, Tom Brady is going to retire as the first. Yep. For now, and if nothing changes, if Patrick Mahomes plays like this for 12, 12 years, Mahomes is going to leapfrog both those dudes. I, I agree with you. He is... Um, he is uh, the Bo Jackson of quarterbacks. Yes. If Bo Jackson were to stay healthy, he is LeBron James of quarterbacks. If LeBron James was LeBron James. Right. Uh, Mahomes, uh, if he wins this championship, which I believe he will, um, if, if, the, if the Chiefs find a clear succession plan for uh, Andy Reid, who I believe will retire eventually, for Travis Kelsey, whose body I believe will break down very soon, if they replace those two guys with um, competent people, then I no, see no reason why the Chiefs won't continue to thrive over the next decade and why Patrick Mahomes will not be the greatest quarterback of all time. Now, that's a lot of ifs, ands, or buts, but nothing I see changes the fact that this team is probably going to uh, win next Sunday and is going to win pretty convincingly. 
Definitely, definitely. Let's talk about one more thing. And this is definitely different than Kobe Bryant. This is the loss of, of Henry Aaron, Hank Aaron to some of you. Um, a kind and gentle man. Um, the home run king. The, the people's home run king. Um, um, passed last week. And just wanted to just give that that man his just credit and his just due. You know, he, he had to deal with a lot, you know... Uh, growing up and and you know i was listening to some of the stories about him where he had to hide under his bed from the ku klux klan he would receive thousands of letters in the mail from people who wanted to kill him you know pretty much without social media and the internet and people coming on your timeline giving you threats he was actually getting letters handwritten letters from people um threatening his life and just the the um things that he had to go through going from Milwaukee to to Atlanta, I think that, you know, we should give him a shout-out for the things that he had to endure. Uh, unquestionably, yes. Um, an all-star baseball player, a Hall of Fame baseball person, a Hall of Fame person at the end of the day. Um, what he did uh, for African-Americans in sports, what he did for minorities in sports, what he did for baseball in general uh, can never go unrecognized cannot go unignored, will be an integral part of his legacy. What he did for the city of Atlanta in terms of making that um, a baseball city, even though primarily he did the bulk of his work in Milwaukee. Right. The, the fact that he was able to transition to, uh, the, to Atlanta like that and uh, be just as loved as he was, uh, truly incredible. The fact that he became the spokesman that helped get that city the Olympics, um, truly incredible. The fact that he was so inherently consistent that you will look at his numbers over a sustained period of time and think that they are video game numbers. The numbers he put for a period of time of about 20 years consecutively are simply absurd, are something that an alien seems like he should have done. Uh, and he wasn't an alien. Right. He was a young guy who grew up with nothing in a fundamentally racist system, who persevered past that system to become a role model for people of every single culture, a role model that should have statues, should have books, uh, can go alongside guys like Martin Luther King as a guy who fundamentally altered the world simply by being a role model. Um, Henry Aaron didn't have to pick up a gun. He didn't have to pick up a sword. He didn't have to even pick up a pen, even though his autobiography is pretty good. Oh, yeah. The dude picked up a bat and changed the world. Right. And we can't say enough about what a loss it was, but at the same time, what a life it was. Definitely. 86 years is nothing to scoff at. 86 years of being loved by a family, by a culture. Um, and uh, it's an enviable way to die. It's an enviable way to live. And uh, my hats are off to uh, Mr. Hank Aaron. Yeah, he won the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 20, uh, 2002. There's a petition now to change the Atlanta Braves' name to the Atlanta Hammers, and I'm all for that. Yes and no. I think we could do better by understand the logic behind it. Right. I, uh, I just, I, I just, it doesn't roll off the tongue. Maybe it, it doesn't. It doesn't. But in terms of honoring him, I, I think they do need to find a way whether it becomes uh, Hank Aaron Baseball Stadium, 
I don't want a clubhouse named after him, and I do not want a suite named after him. That always grosses me out. Right. But if we can find a way, if it does become the Atlanta Hammers, I will unequivocally understand because he means more to the Atlanta Braves organization than anybody else, even Chipper Jones, Andrew Jones. He is uh, he's the guy. Tom Glavin. <laughs> Tom Glavin. Greg Maddox. Greg Maddox. Keep it going. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, Freddie Freeman. <laughs> Terry Pendleton, Ron Gant, Dave Justice. Here's a fun fact. Yeah, here's a fun fact that I didn't realize. What do he, Willie Mays, and Ted Williams have in common? Tell me. They weren't unanimous decisions in the Hall of Fame. Who were the guys who didn't vote for them? Okay, I can see back some race thing with with Hank Aaron and Willie Mays, but Ted Williams as well. I mean, who was that guy who didn't vote for those guys to be unanimous decisions in the Hall of Fame? I don't understand it. Uh, some joker who wanted uh, an article to be written about him. Right, right. right. Uh, can, I, can I leave this with a quote? Of course. From a guy I think we all love, Mr. Vince Scully. Yes. Um, during during uh, the home run chase, Go ahead. This was his home run call. Um, Vince Scully had many home run calls that were truly important, but mm-hmm. I think this is pretty cool. What a marvelous moment for baseball. What a marvelous moment for Atlanta and the state of Georgia. What a marvelous moment for the country and the world. A black man is getting a standing ovation in the Z South for breaking a record of an all-time baseball idol. And it is a great moment for all of us, and particularly for Henry Aaron, and for the first time in a long time, that poker face in Aaron shows the tremendous strain and relief of what it must have been like to live with this for the past several months. My my God, like it could not be put more eloquently, more beautiful than that. Uh, one great baseball man to another about the impact Hank Aaron had just by swinging his baseball bat far better than anybody else has ever done. Uh, it's a true testament to greatness. That's awesome, Sean. We're going to put a pin in that now, man. Um, People, reflect on life. Reflect on the things that you think about, what's important to you and what's not important to you. And that's all we can do to continue to be better people. Sean, I appreciate you, man, for spending that time with me. And thanks for that quote from the great Ben Scully. No problem. It's been an absolute pleasure being able to share this perspective to you. Like, uh, we sold this podcast kind of on... uh, me being, a, me being a Jewish guy, you being a black guy, and the fact that we can have these fundamental conversations about these kinds of things, right? Yes. Where we're not defined by our individual races, as no one should be, but about our legacies as Americans, about sports fans, and being able to uh, consolidate all of this beyond just a sales pitch for a podcast into our observations of the world. There's a reason I uh, enjoy doing this every week, every couple of weeks, and the reason why you and I are friends. So yep. uh, thank you. I appreciate you, Sean. I'll be talking to you soon. Absolutely. Have a good one. All right.
listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube